This is the Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Hi, welcome to the Christian Circle Podcast and this is episode 42. This week we're talking to Christopher Kayser about the seven myths on love and marriage and you'll find a number of recurrent themes from what Michelle Fanley talked about last week. So it's funny how the Holy Spirit works and, and shares very similar messages. And, and just in case you're wondering, we actually recorded this, I think, four weeks apart. And this was last November. Yeah, you'll find that there are a number of themes that are, are similar. And feel free to share this with other people, especially those who are struggling with their marriage, because Christopher has some really good advice. Also, we're going to be doing a massive giveaway in the month of May. We're celebrating our 50th episode of the Christian Circle podcast in the month of May. So we're going to do a massive giveaway with some of our guests' uh, books. And uh, I think we've got a number of them that will be listed on the website. I'm going to start putting out a raffle cup the giveaway that will start right from this episode right up till May. So it's going to be a very, very, very long giveaway. And uh, hopefully we can see you participate. Wherever you are in the world, we're willing to ship these books. And uh, hopefully send them out to you as long as, um, you know, you're interested in Christian reading. So um, here's the show. Tell us about yourself and your ministry, Christopher. Uh, well, I'm a, a philosophy professor at Loyola Marymount University. And uh, I've worked here for uh, 20 years, actually. I guess I think of myself as trying to do the work of philosophy. And that is to uh, gain greater insight into things and to share things I've learned with others. And you wrote this book, um, you wrote this book, and then you wrote uh, for a website, you were interviewed, and I saw your um, your post on National Review, and it was about talking about the myths of uh, marriage. So what prompted you to write the book? Well, actually, I, I started to write the book based on a course I've taught um, for a number of years, and uh, I was invited to teach a course on the ethics of love and marriage, and so I've been teaching the course now for over 20 years, and uh, students seem to enjoy it a lot, and I thought that I can teach a, a wider audience if I wrote, uh, you know, my main ideas down in that book, so that's that's what led to the writing of that book. And uh, can you tell us a bit about the myths that people have about marriage and love, and why did you choose these specifically? Well, there's a lot of different myths that people have um, about marriage, and I guess I chose the ones that I chose specifically because they seem to be the ones that are the most common and the ones that um, cause the most trouble, you might say. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could have written about the 25 big myths about marriage, but seven sounds like a, a kind of better number to use. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you had to stop somewhere. So, you know, you really could write a longer book about other myths as well. But um, I thought seven big myths about marriage seemed like a pretty good title. Okay. Are you going to share those myths with us or do we have to have to pick up your book to, to read all of them? <laughs> No, I'd be happy to share uh, share them with you. Um, the The book is, as I say, a, a summary of a class I teach, and so it's hard to go through all the myths and mm. um, you know in just a brief a brief time that I have with you. Yeah. But I'd be happy just to sort of summarize the you know the numbers and basically tell you a little bit about each one. Okay. Uh, so the first big myth is that everyone knows what friendship and love are, mm -hmm. um, and I think actually love is is something that people you know, have an intuitive sense of, but I think when we think about it more carefully, we can think about, um, you know, 
more precise exactly what love is. So in the book, I propose the idea that love involves having goodwill for someone and appreciating them and thirdly seeking unity with them. Mm -hmm. um, the second big myth is marriage is a 50-50 contract. Mm -hmm. And I think it's better to think about marriage as not a contract, but rather a covenant. Mm -hmm. so it's not about an exchange of goods and services. Yeah. It's really about giving yourself fully to someone else. And it's not 50-50, but it's 100%, mm -hmm. 100%. Both people are promising to love each other unconditionally. Mm -hmm. uh, the third myth is love alone constitutes the marriage. And I think that, that really love obviously is necessary for marriage, but we need more than just love. Yeah. So you could have love between uh, 15, 20 different people, but I think that marriage isn't, you know, about... 15 or 20 different people, it's really just about two people. Mm -hmm. uh, the next myth is uh, premarital sex is no big deal. Mm -hmm. And in this chapter, I basically look to the empirical and scientific evidence mm -hmm. that um, sex is best uh, saved within the covenant of marriage. Mm -hmm. um, sixth big myth is children are irrelevant to marriage. Mm -hmm. And in this one, I talk about children as a real good mm -hmm. for marriage, mm -hmm. um, helping the couple come together uh, reducing the likelihood of divorce and actually helping the couple get to heaven. Mm. And then the final myth I talk about is that there's nothing wrong with contraception to prevent babies or with using in vitro fertilization to make babies. Mm -hmm. And so in this in this chapter, I'm looking at um, basically contraception and in vitro fertilization and considering them both from an ethical perspective. Okay. So which is the most widespread out of all of these myths? Ah, the most widespread, I'm not sure, but maybe the idea that cohabitation is equivalent to marriage. Um, there are people who think this. Um, in the book, I talk a lot about the evidence that there's huge differences between married couples and cohabiting couples on average. So mm -hmm. cohabiting couples are more likely to break up. Cohabiting couples are more likely to be unfaithful to each other. Cohabiting couples are more likely to be victims of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And within marriage, we find, um, on average, a greater benefit in terms of health, in terms of fidelity, and in terms of uh, marital longevity. And why is, um, uh, since you've mentioned cohabitation already, why is premarital sex a bad idea? Well, you know, in the book, I talk about a lot of the... Um, uh, arguments given about this this topic and basically uh, to kind of boil it down one of the principal arguments is that anyone who's having sex outside of marriage is risking having a pregnancy outside of marriage mm -hmm. and then there are actually only a few options when there's a premarital pregnancy there's single parenthood right mm -hmm. the mother or the father alone raises the child yeah. there's uh cohabitation so we talked about that that seems to be problematic Mm -hmm. um, there is adoption, mm -hmm. um, which in some cases can be the best for the baby, but in many cases is problematic. Yeah. Um, there's abortion, which obviously uh, ends the life of the human being in utero. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there's getting married. And getting married in some cases is the best response, but I think a, such a serious decision such as marriage is best not made in a rush and under the, the pressure of a pregnancy. So basically, to a greater or lesser degree, all of these options are far from ideal. So what is your best advice to uh, married couples, basically? Well, you know, I think that marriage, it's important to remember, is a little bit like our health. Mm -hmm. And so people, you know, in terms of health, realize, I think, that you have to work to be a healthy person. 
right? I mean, you have to eat good food and mm-hmm. exercise and avoid, you know, taking drugs and, and doing things that are going to harm your health. And so in a similar way, in marriage, there are certain things that it's helpful to do, uh, to be grateful to your spouse, to forgive your spouse, to make a real effort to be a good husband or a good wife to your spouse. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there are things uh, to be avoided also. Um, so if we, if we want to have a good marriage, again, like if we want to have good health, it's important to take steps uh, that are going to make that a reality. How much of uh, your own personal experience have you put into the book when, when you give this advice to uh, married couples? Well, you know, I, put, I do put in um, my personal experience. In the book, my wife actually uh, writes uh, a number of stories that talk mm-hmm. about things that have happened in our life with our kids and such. And I know when I teach, too, I talk about my own life experience. But, mm-hmm. um, but I also try to draw on scientific evidence mm-hmm. because there's a lot of scientific evidence about what can enhance a marriage and a lot of scientific evidence about what gets in the way of a good marriage. So I try to kind of blend and bring together both kind of scientific information and also personal information. So there are a lot of couples who have disagreements and I think one of the I think one of the most beautiful things that you mentioned was that um, you don't change spouses every time you have differences with uh, with a spouse because part of the difference is you. And so, how should ma- how should married couples actually work through their differences and their issues when they face a particular problem like uh, how to raise the children, with schools to put them in, finance, moving house, things like that? Oh, you're totally right. You know, couples have all kinds of things that they can potentially disagree about. You know, children and finances and where to live and all kinds of things. And the reality is that uh, couples are always going to have irreconcilable differences. And mm-hmm. so, you could get divorced and marry somebody new. But you just have new a new set of irreconcilable differences. Mm-hmm. So this is just a reality that, that all married couples have and all married couples have to work with. The basic distinction to be drawn is between uh, disagreements about things that are solvable mm-hmm. and disagreements where it's really an irreconcilable difference and there is no real way to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. So sometimes couples have problems that are temporary and uh, based on a circumstance that can change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if it's something like that, that, you know, normally things go well in this particular year, you know, whatever happens, so we need to do something different. Um, well, that's a different sort of matter than a real irreconcilable difference. So by that, what I mean is something like maybe uh, the wife is keen to have another child mm-hmm. and the um, husband doesn't want to have a child. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is really an irreconcilable difference. In other words, you can't both have a child and not have a child. Mm-hmm. And so in a case like that, what, what I'd recommend is um, try to understand the other person's point of view as thoroughly as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is that very often with irreconcilable differences, behind them is a very deep dream mm-hmm. and, and a very uh, important desire on one person's part of the other. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you can't agree about the particular thing, like, yes, I want to have a child. Mm-hmm. But we can always understand where our spouse is coming from better. So that's, when people have irreconcilable differences, it's important to get behind it and understand the deeper issues that it's all about. Now, that doesn't take away the difference, but when we understand each other better, that can help to make the differences easier to bear. Okay, and then uh, as a follow-up, who backs down in this? I mean, um, you know, who's the 70-30? Who's the person who says, okay, well, let's go with X? Who's the decision maker? Well, that's a, that's a good question, and I think in reality, uh, different couples handle that in different ways. I mean, there are some couples where uh, the husband 
basically, you know, push comes to shove, makes the decision. There are some couples where the wife, push comes to shove, makes the decision. Um, I think it's probably best for them to continue talking about it and to figure out together what really is the best way to move forward. Uh, because obviously men can make mistakes and obviously women can make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So since no one's infallible, it's important to continue discussing things and then we can figure out what really is the right thing to do. In, in terms of the evidence that you've seen, um, does spirituality to a certain extent help in making a better marriage? Yeah, there's a lot of evidence that shows that couples that uh, worship together, that attend services together, are much more likely uh, to stay married and have happy marriages. And I know in my own experience, too, that sharing faith with my wife has been a real uh, enhancement of our relationship and really helped us to to love each other better and to move forward and to, to really grow together over the years. So I, I do advise people very strongly, actually, to try to marry someone who shares their uh, faith tradition. Um, sometimes people think, oh, it doesn't really matter. Mm. Uh, but very often it takes place, especially when children come along, that um, you know faith becomes more and more important. And in mm. fact, that's true of people on average as they age. So people, as they get older, tend to have deeper spirituality. Mm. And so it's great in terms of marriage to marry someone that you share that with, because as the time goes on, you can grow together and deepen that together with each other. And uh, what is your uh, impression of this, that marriage is a call to be, uh, not a call to always be happy. You're not always going to be happy, but it's a call to be holy. It's it's a vocation. It's it's a higher calling, basically. Yeah, and no, I think that's right. Um, you know, the fact is our feelings go up and down. Yeah. And the feelings are based on all kinds of things that are out of our control, like whether you had a good night's sleep last night, <laughs> you know, whether your stomach is upset, whether you're getting a cold. Yeah. And so we can't run our life based just on, you know, how we feel. We mm -hmm. feel good, we feel bad. Uh, it's much better to try to live uh, in accordance with real love, you know, choosing to do what's good for the other, looking for what's good in the other, forgiving the other person, etc. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we all make mistakes and we're all imperfect. Yeah. Um, but I do think that if we're aiming just to feel good all the time, uh, paradoxically, that's a good recipe for not feeling good uh, <laughs> as much as you otherwise would. Because I think if you really love other people and you love God and you try to do the right thing, that this characteristically does actually make you feel, quote-unquote, better too. And um, any strong pieces of advice that you'll give to people who are currently not happy or struggling with uh, uh, their relationships, struggling with their marriage? Yeah, I, I would advise uh, praying for your spouse. Mm. So one thing you can do is uh, go before the, the Blessed Sacrament, go into church. Yeah. And ask God to enlighten you and say, God, I, my husband, my wife is driving me crazy. Uh, you know, I can't stand the person right now. And I just, I'm at my wit's end. But you made this person. You mm -hmm. love this person. You've put good in this person. And yeah. this person, you've given potential to be even better. Mm -hmm. And so, Lord, please open my eyes to see all the good that you, dear Lord, have put in this person. Mm -hmm. And I think when people really focus on that, it becomes easier to, to love others. Because uh, the reality is, everybody is a mix, right? Mm -hmm. No one is pure goodness. Yeah. No one is pure evil. Everyone has their, you know, weak spots and strong spots. And it's, it, it's you know, it's something that can be easily done where you just focus on what's wrong and the negative. But I think it's much more healthy and beneficial to try to focus and celebrate whatever is true and good and honorable and just and pure in, in the other person. And um, in terms of uh, being able to forgive, since you said we, we should be able to forgive, 
what if there are major issues and uh, people are struggling to forgive their their spouses uh, what kind of advice would you would you give these people well forgiveness is a very very challenging thing for everyone whether it's about a spouse or somebody else mm-hmm. um, I do think that the recommendation of made of praying is is a helpful yeah. way to, to move forward um, another thing to keep in mind is that especially in a marriage almost always both people at some point have done things wrong. So yeah. if I'm mad at my wife right now for whatever she did to me, I, you know, have to remember, gosh, I've done things to her before that made her really mad. Mm-hmm. And she she forgave me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may also be helpful to remember that many times people do things that hurt our feelings, mm-hmm. but they weren't really trying to hurt our feelings, right? Mm-hmm. The goal wasn't, oh, I know, ruin this person's day. The person was, you know, uh, tired or hungry or had a bad day themselves and then they said something or did something that wasn't very nice but you know if we can be compassionate towards them and say you know this wasn't their best hour they were tired they were hungry they were upset about whatever and they said this or that Mm -hmm. and so i you know try to be compassionate and try to understand you know they're probably did the best they could at the moment and they just the best they could do at the moment wasn't that great (laughs) So, so i got her i got her feelings but but those feelings are not going to last forever, mm-hmm. and so I can move forward, and with God's help, we can let go of it and say, hey, you know, in the end of the day, God is just, and God mm-hmm. is going to take care of this. I don't need to be the, the avenger, the divine angel who's avenging every wrong and, mm-hmm. and taking revenge. I'll let God take care of it, and, you know, that hurt my feelings, but I'm going to move past it. You know, so it is hard to forgive, though. There's no two ways about it. Mm-hmm. But you can choose to dwell on the good stuff, right? You can... You can remember the good times, the, the good moments, and, and be grateful for all of those things. That's a good point. I think that's right. I guess one, one thing to keep in mind is you know, the long-term view. Because mm. I think you know, it's important to remember that you know, when you get married, you're promising you know, to marry to love this person until death do us part. Yeah. And you know, sometimes you get in the middle and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure this is right. But it's important for couples that are going through difficult times to remember that almost all couples go through very trying times. Mm. You know, it's a little bit like your health. You know, very yeah. few people are born and they're perfectly healthy their whole life and they die at 95 and they never <laughs> have a heart attack, they never get cancer, they never have any problems. Almost everybody, you know, has a problem, a serious yeah. problem in the course of their life. But, you know, if you get cancer at, at 40, you don't just give up on life and say, well, that's it, it's over. Mm. You fight through and you get the treatment you need and you move forward. Yeah. And I think the same thing is true of a marriage. I mean, all marriages have ups and downs and sometimes very serious downs. You know, Mm -hmm. someone does something horrible and there's a real serious issue. But I don't think that, uh, I do think that couples that that work through it are able to really come out much better on the other side. Mm -hmm. In fact, about 80% of couples that say they're very unhappy, if they stick it through and stick with it, uh, five years later, 80% of them report that they're either happy or very happy. So you can go from things are really miserable and horrible to things are doing a lot better. Um, This happens all the time. So I think just because you're in a storm right now and you think things are, you know, there's no hope, there's no moving forward, you know, there's always hope, right? As long as as God is around, there's always hope for us. So it's important to hang on to that in difficult times. So that's uh, great, actually. Uh, I think people are going to want to attend your class after they hear this. So, <laughs> well, so. that's nice. That's nice. I, I do enjoy teaching the class. And well, that's why I wrote the book, because obviously not everyone can come to Los Angeles and take a college class. But yeah. if you, people are interested, then that's great. And 
they can uh, check out the seven big myths about marriage. Okay, and where can they find uh, your book and where can they find you online? Uh, well, it's on uh, Amazon. It's on, I think, Barnes & Noble. Mm -hmm. Again, go to Ignatius.com, Ignatius Press's website. They're the ones who put out the book. Okay. And then uh, I'm on Facebook, so people can look up Christopher Kayser and uh, friend me if they want. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm not that, I don't have that lively and online presence, but, you know, I, I post things on Facebook once in a while. So anyway, that's something okay. that people can do if they like. Okay, okay, great. So uh, thank you so much for coming and uh, talking to us uh, about uh, marriage and, and, you know, marriage is our most popular podcast online. So I think there's a, a big, big uh, demand for, for this uh, topic. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for talking with me.